Ashton here with Love Life and Disability. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Love Life and Disability. So for the past few weeks, I have been taking a break because as many people know, I have been undergoing some IVF, but I am back, I'm on it. And today I'm being joined by the fabulous and wonderful Sarah. Hi, Sarah, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's my complete pleasure. And for my listeners um, who may not know who you are, Sarah, Sarah is the co-founder of An Amazing If, and she works with her business partner, Helen. Now, their aim is to make careers better for everybody. They are both fantastic, and they've had a Sunday Times number one bestseller, which is the Squiggly Career. I can't even say the word career. There we go. <laughs> the Squiggly Career, um, which is um, by Penguin. And they host the Squiggly Careers podcast as well. So it's great to have another creative who's also an author and a podcaster <laughs> on today's show. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I think I think you got squiggly and squiggly is the harder of the two words. So you're doing pretty well. <laughs> I'm halfway there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like Sarah, your CV is just like pretty epic. Um, you know, you've done like leadership roles at Barclays and Sainsbury's. And before them, you know, even like managing director of like creative agency at like Gravity Road. You're just like a nonstop person, you know. What is it as well, like co-chair of, of the Mayor of London um, Workspace Advisory Board? And of course, speaking before this call, you know, you're a non-stop sleeping mother as well to Matt, <laughs> who could walk in at, <laughs> and, at any point. Um, so like, when do you sleep? Um, well, as much as I can, first of all, having had a non-sleeping baby and toddler, but he does now, to give him his juice, he's now four and a half and he does now sleep. Um, but yeah, sleep, n- number one priority. Um, and I think it is like getting that rest and recovery really matters. I would say, I think when you list out all the jobs you've done and perhaps some of the achievements that you've had all together, I always want to remind people that there is so much squiggliness and so much stuff below the surface that obviously people just just don't see. And so mm-hmm. often when we're sharing, whether it's on social media or even in podcasts like this, of course, we start with our highlights because that's what people know us for. And that's what people that's what's visible. That's what people can see. Um, but there have been loads of you know squiggles along the way, some of which have worked out better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been really hard moments too. Um, you know, for example, I found being on maternity leave really difficult. Um, Max, my little boy, had something called acid reflux, which okay. meant that um, it's not sort of serious as in they're OK, but they are sick all of the time. And so every time you go to move them, you know, they're, they're constantly kind of being sick and not, and not being very well. So it made it really hard to go out. I found it really isolating. Um, I know everybody says it's a kind of shock to the system, but I think for me, mm. I really missed my job. Um, and my job was a really big part of my identity and kind of who I was. And I just really remember after two weeks when my partner had to go back to work and absolutely didn't particularly want to go back to work, but that was, that was how much time we could afford for him to mm-hmm. have off. Um, I remember thinking, oh, I wish I could switch places. Um, And that feels like a really hard thing to say and not something you hear very many people saying. And it took me quite a long time to be able to say that out loud. And so I think I certainly wouldn't want to leave your listeners with the impression that that here's all been shiny along the way. Um, Like everybody, I've had those knotty moments, those tough times. Um, But I think the thing that has really helped me 
is the moment in my career where I stopped trying to be good at everything because it turns out that is impossible mm -hmm. and I figured out what I needed to be good enough at and what I was great at what I could really exceed at where I could be brilliant where I was kind of at my most useful and then sort of accepted the good enoughness everywhere else you know I don't, I don't think I'm a great parent I think I'm a good enough parent um depends which day you catch me on um but I think I am great at career development a useful practical career development I don't think I'm as good at some of the sorts of you know um training and development but the thing that we do I think we do really well and so that I think was a really big turning moment for me in my career and all those things that you've described lots of the roles and the jobs that I did that I got so much energy and enjoyment from kind of came from almost myself figuring out this idea of actually if you follow what you're energized by and if you try to make your spike spikier get those turn those strengths into super strengths that's mm -hmm. where it's fun, funnily enough the right opportunities come your way and the, you can kind so of explore fun. the right possibilities and I think that's completely true in what you say especially around the career part is a lot of people these days will basically be jack of all trades master of none but then you can look you can appear to have like a very scattered career and people and don't know how to help you because they don't know where you want to focus or where you mm. want to go and sometimes we just might have our hands in many pies which is great but at the same time it's as you say it's you know what can you really hound in on and work yeah. on to become that expert where people can come to you for that bit of advice so for me at work if it's around accessibility, everyone will just come to me for accessibility. It's, okay, how do I turn on closed captions in Zoom? Okay, how do I do this in Teams? How do I make an accessible document? They know that they can come to me for that because that's kind of what I've kind of perfected over time and tried mm -hmm. to learn as much as possible. But if I just did a little bit of everything, then I won't I won't be that expert people can call upon. Yeah, and I also think it's, with your own career now defining what works for you mm -hmm. and understanding that we can all develop in different directions and for some people that might look like becoming more of a specialist for some people that might be more of a generalist but i think too often certainly in in more ladder-like careers we put pressure and expectation on ourselves about what we should do and what our career has to look like based on maybe yeah. other people's expectation or sometimes even just the expectations that we place on ourselves and I yeah. think when you sort of let go of some of those things around, well, why? And is that the right thing for me? Like I've had a career, often in people's careers, as they progress, people become more generalist because maybe they are leading bigger teams or they're doing mm -hmm. a wider range of things. That's probably a more traditional trajectory. I actually had a generalist career um, in my early career. You know, I did, I did quite a lot of different, different things. I wouldn't have described myself as a specialist for a long time. I'm now more of a specialist than I've ever been because I sort of focused all of my efforts in careers and career development. Mm -hmm. So it's probably the, the first time I would describe myself as getting anywhere close to a specialist, but I was just as successful in inverted commas Good. when I was a generalist. So again, I just want people mm -hmm. to really think about like what works best for them and try and create your own career rather than totally. worry about what it should look like or what other people think it should look like. Couldn't, couldn't agree more and as well now with like COVID and stuff this whole working from home this flexible working the hybrid model and the fact that for a good chunk of COVID a lot of people were being a parent there was also being housemates and husbands and work colleagues all at the same time and having to navigate that but 
before you touched upon about the maternity part and you know you, you wish you could have switched places with your partner and gone back after two weeks it's I guess how how can I'm going to go for women because obviously we're, we're women but is how can we navigate that as women went by we are so determined in our careers but we might have to take a bit of time off maybe to do the parenting side of things but also still want to progress in your own career because trying to I'd imagine trying to learn study and stay in touch with that sort of thing whilst you're trying to raise a child could be quite difficult and sometimes okay. women do feel like our careers are on hold whilst we have children because we're going to come back new people have come people have left yeah and then you've then got to re relearn quickly to then try and get another promotion or to move up it's how can we kind of like navigate that I guess and go from this whole 35 hour plus working week to to no hours <laughs> well <laughs> so I don't think there is a there is a perfect a, a perfect solution that any of us or a formula that any of us feel like we should follow and I always prefer the idea of work-life fit than work-life balance and I feel like we've got to let go of a few things to be able to get that work-life fit to work for each of us um and I think the first thing and actually this was something that Actually, more, and I found it harder more recently since Max went to school, but certainly when he was at nursery, um, less so, is this idea of feeling guilty about your choices. And everybody's choices are individual to them and personal to them. You know, I've made very different choices to my mum and my best friend will make very different choices to me. And we all have different choices about how we choose to fit the different important parts of our life together. That might mean working one day. That might mean mm -hmm. working school hours. That might mean working six days. And I think we, A, we definitely shouldn't judge each other. We should support each other and be there to support and sponsor each other. But also, I think so often I talk to people and they just feel really, they feel guilty. So when they're at work, they feel guilty that they're not with mm -hmm. the kids. When they're with the kids, they feel, and I sort of go, no, no one's winning. If we're just feeling really guilty. And also it's taking up our mental headspace. Yeah. And it's easy to say, let go of guilt. And it's much, much harder to do. But I think if we can let go of some of this and um, I sometimes describe it as like your inner critic that is in mm -hmm. your head that is only getting in your way so or if you can be specific about what that sounds like for you then I think you can do something about it versus it feeling general mm -hmm. so one of the things that psychologist Susan David says which I think is really helpful is we should use our doubts as data so rather than just going oh I feel guilty guilty is quite abstract and it's quite mm -hmm. generalist it's quite whereas broad. Yeah, it is really broad. And so then it's harder to know, well, what do I do about it? How can I feel any different? Whereas actually, if you if you can sort of really drill down into, okay, so why do you feel guilty? What is it you feel guilty about? And is that guilt justified guilt? Or is that guilt based on some assumptions? So I actually have only really felt more guilty since Max went to school because I sort of feel bad that I never, I never drop him off and I never pick him up because he goes to breakfast club, he goes to childminders. So I'm... And there's lots of people who do do that. So that comparison kicks in again, which is really hard to avoid. And if I just went, oh, I feel a bit more guilty than I used to, I'm probably not going to do anything about it. If I can be a bit more specific and think, what I feel guilty about is I worry he misses out on opportunities mm -hmm. because I can't go and pick him up at three o'clock, for example. So maybe he misses out on French club or art club. Then you can start to think, okay, well, I don't want to change how I work because I love the work that I do and I don't want to I don't want to work less okay is there another way that I could help Max to have some of those things that I don't want him to miss out on does it have to be 
in that after school club or is there mm -hmm. something different that he could do and so you can you can start to make choices based on what's important to you and also what you can control and i think that makes a really big difference yeah. and the other thing i think that we all have to do um whatever gender you are is continually build our resilience reserves so rather than thinking i just need to be resilient in the really hard moments i think the thing that sort of saved me is certainly during my um maternity leave which i've found difficult and in tougher moments in my career generally if you have already built up your resilience reserves if you already practice asking for help if you can already see your very small successes even when things feel hard um, and kind of create that optimism when things are difficult not being relentlessly positive but just having that optimism feeling mm -hmm. confident you'll find your way through it you've got some good support systems around you whether that's friends family work people and you do that all the time then i think in those moments where you really need it you're, you can just nudge yourself over the line to kind of take that action. So one of the things that really helped me in that moment was thinking, well, who can help me? Who can I go and talk, who can I go and have a conversation with who can help me? Maybe that's some previous bosses. Maybe that's a couple of people who've been in a similar situation to me. And funnily enough, some of the people that can help you the most are not always the people that you imagine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you, you might think, oh, well, my co-founder, Helen, in that, in that scenario would be the most helpful person she got. She'd had a, her second child a couple of months before me. We were in the exact same situation. And yet she was having a completely different experience. And so she could sympathise, but she couldn't empathise in the same way. And I think you do need some of those people who see the world in, who, who've sort of experienced it and see that world in a similar way. And, you know, I'd got a tricky baby and, and was finding it hard for lots of reasons. And it was interesting. There was kind of one or two people who just sort of got it. And then mm -hmm. their advice, their words of encouragement sort of really hit home and just helped me you know, to see that there probably was light at the end of the tunnel at a time where I was thinking, is there? Or am I just in this tunnel forever? In which case, this is not a good thing. Um, and so I would encourage everybody listening to think about, you know, practice all those things that will build your resilience. Make sure you're doing one thing every day that is just for you. It's one of the things that, um, so the guy called Dr. Bill Mitchell, who's brilliant on resilience, he's a clinical psychologist. He's, his advice on the number one thing you can do to be more resilient is do one thing every day that is just for you. And I wonder whether there are lots of people listening who couldn't tell you the one thing they do that day that's just for them. And I think it really helps me that I always do one thing every day that is purely selfishly Yeah. Just, just for me. I think Can I really ask what you've do. done today then, Sarah? Yeah, so I um, I go for a walk by myself. I take myself for a walk, which is, I That's say it like it's embarrassing, but I think it's because I see everyone out with their dogs and I just take myself and I don't go, I don't, um, I sometimes go with my partner, but I mainly go by myself. Um, but the one thing that I do religiously, so I've, I've been for actually two walks today, two little mini walks, um, but the one thing I do religiously is I read fiction. Um, mm -hmm before bed sort of by myself and I always always make time for that because I um, always love to read and I particularly love to read fiction I might write non-fiction but I love reading fiction and so I think it's a it would have to be a very bad day for me not to spend some time reading um, so reading and walking are the two things I think really help you know the kind of the what keeps you sane and they're for mm -hmm. you and you enjoy them and I really notice it uh, especially actually if I don't go for a walk um, in a day, you know, if you've been too busy and you've overcommitted yourself or 
um, maybe you thought, you know, you, you got worried about something and, and you end up sitting at your desk for too long. I always feel better when I have been outside for a bit and I always try to remind myself of that. And if that means something is a bit delayed or doesn't get done or I need to ask someone if it would be okay to do something a little bit later, I've decided that that's an okay trade-off. I totally agree. It's a, it's an okay trade-off because otherwise we're, we're just at risk of getting burnout and you being yeah. able to get that a bit of fresh air and go for a walk and stretch the legs is better for you in the mental health. And instead of you being all flustered, maybe on a call, just wishing that you wasn't there and that you was yeah. doing something yeah, else. Yeah. So no, I totally agree. It's, it's definitely useful. And something you spoke about there were about like, um, like that control side of thing, something that, I've been doing most recently is looking at a circle of control so basically it's what's in my control and like what's around it and only trying to really focus on the things that's within my control so what can I physically do to make that difference and those things that are in the outer might be able to influence the change but can I change it probably not and to try and really get my head around it so that I'm not getting upset or letting external factors try and annoy my day basically because or impact my career or impact movements because sometimes it's just stuff no matter how much we don't want it like Brexit you know different things in the world that take place we can't control it we have a tiny little thing at the start but that ultimate ultimate thing we can't do it there's nothing we can do yeah and I think that's that's a brilliant way to visualize it Um, I often encourage people when we're talking about coaching yourself so doing some self-coaching is if you're ever feeling a bit stuck or you've stalled or things just feel messy and overwhelming, which happens to all of us at some point, usually during most weeks, is just think, well, what can I control? And therefore, what choices can I make? And it's really hard to not worry about the other stuff. Um, But it's sort of knowing that almost even by writing those things down, I think it puts your energy and efforts on those things that can have the most impact. So you might still be worried about what somebody else thinks or what someone else is going to do or the impact of a big, big external thing on what mm-hmm. might happen. But, but fundamentally, almost like every second you spend thinking about that thing is a second then you're not thinking about something that you could do or yeah. a second that you're not spending building those resilience reserves and doing something that's for exactly. you. Um, and I fall into that trap. I would say one of the things that I, I still find difficult is you know, when you compare yourself to other people because on social media, everybody shares the shiny uh, Never the door stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the boring, you know, sort of 7pm at the end of the day looking a bit raggedy. Um, so, and I'll sometimes beat myself up. So I'll look at someone else and think, oh, like, why don't we do that? Or why are we not doing that? Or we're not doing enough. <laughs> but I'll just think, oh, but we are doing enough. And here are all the good mm-hmm. things that we're doing. And you, I sort of notice that every time I do that, it, it always makes me feel bad. And so I've also thought really consciously, particularly over the last couple of months, about how I use social media, what am I using social media for? And I really want to make sure that I'm always using social media to sort of spark and be a catalyst for my curiosity rather than a point as com- of comparison. And at any moment, if something becomes a point of comparison, and it's nothing to do with, it's all to do with me, mm-hmm. it's nothing to do with that person or that brand, I'll think, okay, well, they're not the right people for me to follow. Whereas I want to learn from the people that I follow or that I connect with. Um, Because that's where, for me, social media is at its best, where um, I discover new people or Mm -hmm. new ideas. Even today, someone we follow, um, 
who's been on our co- uh, podcast, a brilliant Olympic rower, she won a um, silver medal at the Olympics, um, called Kath Bishop. She said shared an amazing quote about growth mindset from someone I'd not heard of. And so today I then watched that person's TED talk um, and, it, and it was amazing. And I was like, oh, that's and it's very relevant to what I do and very mm-hmm. interesting to my work. And I think, oh, that is social media at its best because yeah. I wouldn't have found that. And then I feel like I've not only discovered something, I've then learned something. I took 11 minutes for me to watch that TED talk. Could have done four emails. I could have done any of the to-dos that I can see surrounding me right now, but I didn't. <laughs> I chose to do to take 11 minutes to do that. And I'm so glad that I did because I can already think of so many examples of where we might use that in the work in the work that we do. And so I think, again, just getting away from career comparison. And if you know that you fall into that trap, if you're like me and you're like, it's easy to get lured into that trap, think about what do you need to do differently to sort of add some friction so you mm-hmm. can't get distracted by things that are not helpful for you. I've, I've used to have all the career comparison. Mine used to be against boyfriends. Like, <laughs> I, I, I always wanted to be like, I don't want to say the better paid or in the better job, but it always <laughs> spurred me on because I've always gone out of people in similar ind- industries. Okay. So, and if they're doing the same and I'm doing the same, it's either we work together and build an empire or <laughs> you do your own, but then it's, it, it becomes tit for tat at point where we're, and then it's kind of like, no, this isn't working. It's not healthy. No. Um, and also you get to the point of like, well, who is better than who? And again, I mean, I'm a naturally really competitive person. And I think, <laughs> again, if, if you are naturally like that, there's a point mm-hmm. where competition becomes unhelpful and unhealthy. Yeah. Whereas, and it, we often talk to people a bit about in careers now, there is no such thing as kind of a one size fits all career. You've got to define success for yourself. Um, and all our most meaningful work is often not only not only our own successes, but when we succeed with other people. And yeah. so, you know, it's when winning together and as a team pretty much always feels better than winning mm-hmm. by yourself. Um, 100%. It's so important it's to remember teamwork. that. <laughs> teamwork, definitely, because there's no I in team, yeah. and it's about coming together and team successes but then if you fail as a team you fail as a team it's not one one individual it's not about calling people out it's we're there to support each other because otherwise if you just all have your own little I don't want I think goals are on word to use but if you've just won something great that's actually you yeah Yeah. we can be all happy for you but if you think the amount of success and you can have a team if you're in a team of 10 that could be 10 amazing achievements in a week Mm-hmm. It gives you that more opportunity as well to be happy and share success amongst your colleagues. And you probably won't get where you are as well sometimes without the help and the support, the love and the friends of your family and your colleagues. Having oh, those no. managers that believe in you to send you on courses, to give you those opportunities, sometimes your family or your friends to spur you on or your interview practices. It, it is a whole team effort for people to become who, who they are. Or I used to read a lot about Gabe Mate and childhood trauma and sometimes how our behaviours in the past and the traumas that we may have been through can also influence and shape how we are today as individuals. And I think that can be um, of a quite interesting mindset as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always true to say that nobody succeeds by themselves. Yeah. You know, we we aren't islands and I don't think we are we are designed <laughs> to be. Even if you're an introvert like me, um, you're not, you know, nobody wants, we are naturally kind of, creatures that want to be connected and to kind of find that connection and I think over the last couple of years that's been you know obviously that's been particularly hard and and tough for people and I do think as you go through your career looking for those advocates those sponsors those supporters 
can make a really massive difference. You know, there are, there are particular people that I just know I wouldn't be doing what I do today if it hadn't been for them. And if those people hadn't had sometimes the bravery to give me hard to hear feedback um, and sometimes the nudges that you need to just say yes to things mm. that scare you, um, those people are, you know, an incredibly powerful part of where your career can take, can take you. Um, and so I think never underestimate the value of, when I say mentoring, I don't mean a kind of a formal mentor. I just mean, you know, having lots of curious career conversations, um, you know, talking to people and exploring and seeing where those conversations take you, asking people for their advice and their perspective. And when I think about all of those, if I was thinking about all those people for me, some of those people have been managers, some of them have been informal mentors, some of them have been friends that have kind of been work best friends that have now just turned into absolutely brilliant friends and I am so grateful and so fortunate for all that all of that I have all those people surrounding me because you see that those people kind of make you who you are and when mm -hmm. you do have those knotty moments that do come along in your squiggly career where often there is quite a lot of things outside of your control in those really tough times they are the people who will um, you know rebuild your self-belief they the people who kind of will give you the confidence that you can find your way through um, so I think just thinking about who you who is your career community is a really good coach yourself question. Have you got the right people around you, those radiators, not the drains, but also the right range of people around mm -hmm. you? Because if everyone is a bit like you, that will limit your learning. And so you want people with different points of view, different experiences, different perspectives. You don't want people who are just going to agree with you. You don't want to fall into that echo chamber trap. Have you got someone who really challenges you, someone who asks you those really hard questions? You know, think of it you know, a bit like your personal board. What mm -hmm. does that career community look like for you? And what gaps have you got? Because then again, you can be then quite focused about how you might fill those gaps, the relationships you might need to build. I was, so we've, I was going to say, is this kind of leads me on to kind of like two points, is with that latter point you've just said there about, you know, like looking in like to your friendship circles and people whom you can go to. Um, that's kind of like building a team and if you're to look at like high performance teams if you're to have a load of ideators in a room and you're trying to get I don't know the new iPhone off the ground and mm -hmm. all you've got is ideators all you're going to do all day is ask questions who's going to be developing it none of you yeah, are yeah. doing that but if you're to have <laughs> but then if you're just to have people that just want to develop they'll just crack on but not ask the questions that they need so they know what needs to be built so that's why it's so important that we do have a range of people, not just in, in a team that we work within, but within our own personal and professional lives so that we know who we can go to for different things to move um, things forward. But yeah, I think, that's, I think that's, that's spot on. I think just, and doing that quite consciously as well, I think sometimes we can get quite transactional in the relationships that we build. Um, and there's a great quote by... Um, a brilliant woman called Margaret Heffernan um, who wrote an amazing book called Uncharted and her TED Talks are all excellent so I would encourage all your listeners to go and watch one of her TED Talks and one of the things that she talks about is to be able to navigate uncertainty and change we all need to get better at building relationships beyond the ones that we need right now and I think sometimes we become a bit too short-termist and mm -hmm. we think well I need to build a really good relationship with Kay because we work together and we'll only do this project if we have a good relationship and that is probably true but also who are the relationships you're building outside of your direct team outside of your organization more in your industry or in other areas you know you must have had that experience of building relationships with loads of people that you probably would never have met before I know that I have 
because mm-hmm. you do a podcast where you think you probably just follow your curiosity, see where it takes you. And, you know, we're not connecting and then going to, we're not going to make a piece of work. We're go, but we're going, you know, we're, I suppose we're making a bit of content, but we're, <laughs> you know, it's not a kind of something where you're clear about what's next or where that connection might take you. And I think that is really critical. And we know that back to your point about high performance, people talking about high performance teams, we know that the best teams are always diverse teams. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like that is well-trodden ground, but I think it's still worth saying out loud and reminding people. It's so true. And we also know that high performance comes from high trust teams. So high performance is, I always think of it as more of an output. You will get high performance if you create a high trust environment where people feel safe and secure mm-hmm. and that everybody can belong in the way that yeah. kind of feels confident and comfortable for them. So no one's trying to be anything that they are not. And that's when you get the whole being bigger than the sum of the parts. And I think that's what high trust teams um, and I hope most of us have been in at least one during our career you know that they're the good places to be because it's not that they're easy because high trust teams are not easy there's still there's challenge and there's conflict but you are all working together kind of in the pursuit of something that you believe in you're challenging each other in a really constructive and useful way and you're pretty much always doing work you're proud of and when I think about you know the work that I do now and also if I think about when I when I was certainly in my corporate career Every time you think of those high trust teams, you can sort of draw, you can connect the dots between why you really enjoyed those roles so much. And I think it is because of that environment. And that's when yeah. that high performance happens, which we all feel really good about. Totally agree. I could say exactly the same for some of my career moments is the best teams have worked in. It's not necessarily been the work or the project that I've been producing, which has driven me every single day to turn up. It's been the team that I'm working with and how incredible they are, which then made you enjoy the job even more. Mm-hmm. And you kind of forget that you're working at points. Yeah, yeah. So in January, um, you launched a book, um, You Coach You, which, um, of course, aims to help become the very best at our own careers and with the coaching, with practical exercises and lots of tools and advice. So how did this book come around? And obviously, congratulations on your launch. Oh, thank you. Um, it came really from an insight that coaching isn't available to everyone and our mission is to make careers better for everyone and coaching is one of those things where I think if we could all have a career coach in our pockets every day we would we would take it right like who who wouldn't ideally who wouldn't ideally like that somebody sort of steering us in the right direction giving us some good ideas when we get a bit stuck Um, and that's what we know that coaching works that's what coaching does for people but really coaching is mainly available for the fortunate few in organizations. Mm -hmm. It's not accessible and affordable for most people. And so we felt that rather than thinking about coach as a person, it was helpful to think about, well, how could everybody take a coaching approach to their careers? How can we help people have the mindset, skill set, and toolkit to be able to do that? Because we believe it's a skill. So like any other skill, whether it's playing the guitar or coaching, you can learn it. If you practice Mm -hmm. and you're committed to it and you keep coming back to it, you'll get better and you'll grow. And we are both, myself and Helen, two co-founders of um, our company, and we write the books together. You know, we are both people who've been practitioners, so not been coaches. We've both now qualified as coaches, but we still fundamentally believe that the most powerful coaching is for your career is the work you do for yourself. And then probably some of the relationships you have with the people you work with 
not with people like us who are sort of external people, but, you know, your manager, your mentors, all those people that we just talked about. And so what we really wanted to do was not replace having those conversations about your career, but actually make those conversations better and more useful. So you've done more of the thinking for yourself first. So you've got better questions to ask. You've got better insights to start from. Sometimes you might be able to solve stuff and get unstuck and uncover new options for yourself. Sometimes maybe you'll get halfway there and then you'll go and have a really helpful conversation with a manager or mentor. And so that's really why we wrote the book is anything that we can spot, I think, where we can make something available for everyone. We're always really motivated to do that. Um, And we always want to be useful. So our number one Mm -hmm. value in our company is useful, which isn't a very glamorous value, but it's a very important one one for us. Um, because that's what we exist to do is to make career development content that is useful, um, whether your company can invest in it or not, which is why we do our podcast so that, again, you've got something free for people. It's why we write our books so that you've got something that you can scribble in, write in. Our books are very, very practical. Um, so, you know, they are books where they're designed. Somebody actually led a, um, left a review, which I think summarizes them really well. And he said, um, these are books to do rather than books to read. And that's, that's, cool. that's like the perfect summary. And so I think that's also why they probably wouldn't be for everyone, because I think they almost wouldn't be a very good read unless you're prepared to do some of the ideas for action mm-hmm. or have a go at answering some of the questions. Or um, we've got like some kind of quiz questions in there and just like, so if you sort of like interacting and you like writing and stuff um, and almost like having a go at everything, then that's what we're really trying to do. There's, I think there's more than 50 ideas for action and more than a hundred coach yourself questions. Um, cool. So, you know, there's no, there's no story. <laughs> there's, no <laughs> sort of, it, there's no like start, middle and end. And um, the book is also designed so that you can pick it up anywhere and it should make sense. So rather than thinking, oh, I have to start with the resilience chapter. Mm-hmm. If you want to start with the purpose chapter, which is the last one, go for it if you particularly want an idea for action on how to fix friction just go to that section in the relationships chapter but we also hope it's something that people will keep coming back to throughout their career depending on what's going on for them right now what's most relevant for their for their role and I think that's where it can be important because you might be going through relationship friction at work for example and might think how can I improve this situation how can I focus and you can just flip to that section as you say and and do the tasks and hopefully coach yourself yeah do you find many people know the differences between coaches and mentors because I personally do get asked quite a bit what is the difference between a coach and a mentor and trying yeah. to explain that to people how have you found I'm um, trying to explain it so it's a, I think it's a really good question and I'm always sort of a bit reluctant. I feel like I don't really want to put people in boxes about going, oh, you must be a mentor, you must be a coach. But I do think they are probably different types of conversation. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's quite useful to know what type of conversation would be most useful for you and check that the other person thinks they're having the same kind of conversation. (laughs) So I always think with a mentor, they're trying to help you by sharing their experiences, Mm -hmm. their advice. So if you said to me, you know, you're going for a promotion and we're having more of a mentoring conversation, I might share, well, when I've gone for a promotion before, these are some things that have helped me. And this is what this has been useful. Here's some advice. Here's some ideas. And I'm sort of uh, hopefully empathizing and sharing my own experiences um, with the purpose of helping you with your experience or opportunity or obstacle. I think when you're in more of a coaching mode versus mentor mode, 
I think coaching is about you ultimately mm-hmm. finding the answers for yourself. Correct. So, and I think, you know, if you're with a you know, professional qualified coach, mm-hmm. their job is to, their job is to sort of stay out of it in terms of sharing their experiences and advice. Um, it's one of the hardest things about being a coach. I think. <laughs> like your, your job is, is not to do that. Mm-hmm. Your job is to ask really insightful questions so that people can unlock the answers for themselves yeah so that they can and the reason that's so important is that when we create our own solutions we are much more committed to them so you know if I sort of tell you what to do you you might do it and it might be a good idea but if I figure out for myself what I think I should do and where I might Mm -hmm. go that's come from you and that's come from your brain and your points of view and, and that's your ideas and so I think both mentoring mode and coaching mode are equally useful and helpful um sometimes about the same about you know about the same coaching challenge or obstacle and I think you'll find that certain people have certain styles so some Mm -hmm. people are just naturally really good questioners and so those people have a slightly their approach is slightly more of a coaching approach anyway some people are really good at figuring out how to share their stories in a way that is useful for someone else still with the someone else in mind Mm -hmm. so you know, they are brilliant mentors as a result. And I think, you know, I would seek out and, and use both as and when you can. Um, and I think don't feel like a coach has to be a professional coach. I think, again, look out for brilliant. I've got a couple of friends who are really good questioners. And I'm like, they're just the sort of informal coaches, <laughs> just like you can have informal mentors. But I think the value of self-coaching is that you can sort of ask and answer a lot of these questions for yourself. And it mm-hmm. will feel uncomfortable. And it will feel hard at times because we don't coach ourselves when things are easy, because if it was easy, you'd figure it out by yourself. You don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to do coaching. Um, coaching is usually because we want to make a change. It could be a really positive change. It could be a change because we're not happy. Um, so always know that coaching yourself, you know, it, we hopefully try to make it very accessible. We give you lots of ideas, but at times it can feel confronting. It might mean that you have to challenge yourself to do some things that don't feel um, you know really comfortable it might be outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. but it is always worth it to feel like you are kind of in control of your career and sort of navigating that squiggle with confidence and clarity um, I think is worth its weight in gold. No 100% I, I couldn't agree more and with your Squiggly Careers podcast what can people expect to hear from the podcasts? Um, well about 265 episodes for a start. There's a lot. <laughs> which I think is um it's probably well I say it's too many but we we release an episode every week and we have them for the last three years so I would hope any question somebody has on their career there should be a squiggly careers podcast for that so whether it is how to make your strengths stand out and show up how to build your personal board how to overcome your confidence gremlins um what are we doing in the next couple of weeks we're doing how to stop people pleasing um how to own your reputation at work So at some point, I'm sure we must run out of topics, but we haven't (laughs) yet. And also, we absolutely take requests. So um, if somebody has got a career challenge and they think, oh, why is why is there no Squiggly Careers podcast on this? Um, Always, always get in touch and let us know. And if you want to search them, because I appreciate that is a lot of podcasts to navigate your way through. Um, If you go together lots of our podcasts based on themes so for example if you're interested in purpose or if you're interested in progression we'll say well here are the three episodes to listen to and they're all about 20 30 minutes 
um, or I always use an app called Overcast, which then has really good search functionality. Okay, that, that's that's pretty good, and that'll be quite accessible as well to some of our listeners who who may be using screen readers and so forth. So um, they'd be yep. able to. We have a transcript. Um, so every week now we produce a transcript for the podcast as well. Um, but also if there is anything that we can do, if you are listening to it and you've got ideas about ways we can make it more accessible for everyone, we would also love to hear them because often that's when um, we make changes. So those transcripts have come from listener requests um, and we do pod sheets which summarise the podcast um, on one page with the ideas for action, the coach yourself questions. Um, so, for example, if listening, if, if audio doesn't work brilliantly for you and you'd rather read something, there's a reading version and there's a pod notes version as well. Um, so we, we try to almost however you want to read, watch or listen mm -hmm. to something, we try to create an option. But we are always very open to new ideas. Definitely. I'm trying to be pretty similar so it's like of course with my own podcast I'll do one as an audio so they can listen but yeah. then as well I respect that some people may be deaf or hard of hearing so might want to lip read or follow with yeah. closed captions so it's trying to um give everybody um an option really to yeah. to engage but talking about things like sessions and so forth you know I'm aware that you have done sessions for like Microsoft and the BBC as, as well as many other companies now you do go to companies and you do like workshop sessions what can these all entail because <laughs> I know I've been on one <laughs> oh, so they're always career careers um, they're always about career development so yeah we work with companies all across the world and we've probably trained about 500,000 people over the past couple of years in careers and career development those programs um, often talk about some of the skills that help people with squiggly careers, sort of self-awareness skills. So what they are, but also most importantly, how to build them. So things like strengths and values, confidence, career community, exploring your progression possibilities. So really, how can we sort of give people the tools and the ideas on those kinds of topics? We do quite a lot of work on things like growth mindset in action. Um, and also thinking a bit about now with coaching yourself, you know, we, we're increasingly doing a lot of work where, again, we will just come in and bring the ideas in the book to life with some of those, whether it's resilience or purpose or time or just the principles and kind of the fundamental foundation skills of mindset, skill set and toolkit to coach yourself so that whatever your challenge, um, we're sort of giving organisations that ability to sort of help their people to help themselves. And then for some organisations, we also do learners as teachers, which is where we're really keen that people internally share our ideas themselves so they don't rely mm -hmm. on us um, because that's not a very sustainable solution. So for some you know, really progressive companies, we also sort of help their, their people internally to be able to go away and share the content you know, with other people in their organisations where they've got hundreds of thousands of people. Um, that can't be us every time but there's absolutely no reason why other people can't do a version of what we do. Um, and it doesn't, you don't have to be a trainer to be able to do that. What you have to be able to do is just, you know, learn some of the, learn some of the content and we have a very open approach to our content. We don't really kind of, we don't close our IP. We want people to share it. Um, because we also know that when people share what they learn, that's how that learning lasts longer. So again, every, everybody wins. So a really wide range of things that we do with companies, but it's always focused on, how we can support people with their careers and their career development, whether they want to squiggle and stay or whether they just want to think a bit more about their self-awareness and their sort of career skills. 
I just love the idea of just like squiggling in general, like writing mm-hmm. ideas down and when things come to your mind or even having those books that you can fill in. Um, because as well, I think sometimes it's all well and good things being in your mind, but seeing it on paper, it's kind of unlike something you, you feel like you have to do. And yeah. <laughs> getting it out of the mind and getting it on paper, like people think I'm weird because I sleep with a notebook next to my bed with a pen. Yeah. And people are like, why do you do that? And I'm just like, well, if something comes to me in the middle of the night, then I can just write it down. Because sometimes I'll just, if, if I've not got the notebook and I'm like at my mum's and something comes to my head, I just email it myself because yeah. I know because then it's going to alert me in the morning. It's all well and good me writing in the notes, so I'm not going to see it. But if I do it as an email, boom, first thing in the morning, ah, that's what I want to do. Yeah, and, and hopefully that means you can go back to sleep again a bit quicker. <laughs> Definitely, because it's just off your mind. Yeah. And we spoke about TEDx's as well before, where you've come across one as well recently on social media. But I also believe that you've been on a TEDx. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how people can watch it? Yeah, so um, if you go on just to TED, to the um, to the main site and search Squiggly Careers, um, the actual talk is called The the Best Career Path Doesn't Have to Be a Straight Line. Uh, we, we sort of wanted to call it Squiggly Careers, but I think people get Squiggly Careers. I think we say it in about the first sentence um, and people will see sort of our pictures of kind of letting go of the ladder and embracing the squiggle. Um, we recorded it at Abbey Road, Abbey Road Studios, which was amazing um, and felt really iconic and sort of bizarre to be somewhere like that as someone who's not that musical being like oh look look at all these people that've been here um and to take a picture on the zebra crossing obviously because <laughs> you've got to do all the cliche things while you're there so um yeah that's where you can find it and i think what the ted talk tries to do is explain almost why squiggly careers is is better for everybody um why is it better for individuals why is it better for teams and why is it better for organizations um, and we try to, even within that TED Talk, try and make that pretty practical with some examples of what we've seen individuals do really well and also what some organisations have done that have really inspired us mm-hmm. as well. So it's sort of the business case for Squiggly Careers. And I don't know if this is a Sarah thing, but one of, like, if she's listening, she's called Sarah mm-hmm. and she works where I work um, day to day. And she is just amazing when it does come to careers because when I used to have meetings with her, she used to be like, she just to sit back and she'd go, okay, it's like a grey jungle gym. Grey jungle gym, that's how I see it. Sometimes you've got to go down to go across, to go back up. It's not just going straight up. You've got to go yeah. sideways, go up, go across, go down. It's fine. If you know where you want to get to, there's a load of different ways. And she would always call it grey jungle gym if you yeah, want to nice. navigate a career. And because I'm a visual person, I could see it. And, yeah, I think it's just like a, an amazing Sarah thing because, like, she's the first person at work that I'll go to with anything and even down to like jobs she's more about the transferable skills and she'll be like well no just because you haven't done that doesn't mean so you can't do it look what you can do this is all this this all links into this and it's all transferable and yeah she's a real big believer in all the transferable things and I think if people can find people like that within management within friends and help people see what's transferable to help them apply for jobs or to progress in self-employment own businesses it can be so useful yeah i think those transferable talents as we as we describe them are becoming more and more important because there will be jobs that we don't know exist yet and skills that we don't know we need Mm -hmm. um 
being really clear about what are your transferable talents and also making sure you're choosing those transferable talents that they're the things that you enjoy and that give you energy how are you getting better at those transferable talents we don't want our skills to sort of stand still we want mm -hmm. to continually invest in them and exactly as Sarah said to you I think it doesn't matter how you visualize your career I think jungle gym works really well somebody once said to me a bit like a tube map and that works <laughs> that makes sense yeah. to me well like you I'm a visual person we use squiggly I think the thing that we care most about is letting go of this idea of a ladder of mm -hmm. being of that being progression yeah progression equaling only promotion of feeling like it's all about the next step um, mm -hmm. And that isn't to say we don't want people to be ambitious. I want everyone to be really ambitious about what they can do in their careers and what they can achieve in their careers. But I think this framework of climbing a ladder doesn't serve any of us very well. And so replace it with whatever works for you, um, sort of as long as it's not a staircase or steps or ladder, <laughs> um, which I do still see quite which a lot. Which is non-accessible anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that is a brilliant, that's probably a better business case for it than anything we've ever said. Um, which just never works and it certainly doesn't work for well, I'm in a wheelchair, how am I going to climb that ladder? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's, if we start with that sort of frame of reference of like it's squiggly, it's a jungle gym, it's a tube map, it, you will develop in different directions, you mm -hmm. will have three or four different types of career and you never know, like don't limit yourself and don't limit your learning. Yeah. I think you just set yourself up for success and all those things that we've talked about today about getting those right people around you um, and you know, doing some of the hard work for yourself. Um, one of the things that we see with the people who are navigating their careers really successfully is they are very good at creating rather than waiting for their career mm -hmm. to happen to them. So they don't make their development dependent on other people mm -hmm. and they don't expect the next career move to just come their way. They are yeah. creating the possibilities and the opportunities that they are motivated by. And, totally. and I think if you can do that and if you can have that as your sort of starting point it is amazing what interesting things can come your way and who would you say out of everybody that you've been involved with in your lives today Sarah has inspired you to get to where you are today who's that person you'd probably look up to the most do you reckon I'll allow you to have more than one okay okay I was like, oh my <laughs> god that's such a hard question also I feel like I'm gonna offend somebody um it's yeah it's interesting I think my so I've been with my partner, Tom, for like 23, 24 years. Um, and he isn't particularly interested in what I do. Um, you know, he, you know, I don't think he's ever read any of our books or listened to any of our podcasts. I'm <laughs> pretty sure he's not watched TED Talk. So I think his company actually shared our TED Talk. And he was like, oh, that's you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think he has been very instrumental in my career in a very different way because he has always he's always just supported me and wanted me to succeed and I know from talking to other people that that's not the same with everybody's mm -hmm. partners and you know when we had our little boy Max certainly um he has taken on more probably more of the parental responsibility um than I have um and he's a he's a brilliant dad and you know the only reason I can talk to you right now is because he can be downstairs with Max and doesn't even bat an eyelid when I'm like oh I'm gonna do a podcast tonight and and that's fine because he knows it's important to me. So I think I actually don't mention him sort of very often because like I say, he's sort of not really in our world all that interested in, yeah. but he, you know, that you do need those people by your mm -hmm. side who just want you to succeed because they know it makes you happy and that's important to them. Your happiness is important to them. Um, and then my co-founder, Helen. So 
I met Helen at university. Um, and I wouldn't say we didn't get on, but we certainly weren't uh, really good friends straight away. <laughs> we are um, very different. Helen's much more extrovert than I am. I'm much more introverted and, and had very different experiences of university generally in this, the course that we did that um, felt a bit like an early version of The Apprentice, which <laughs> I very nearly dropped out, whereas she absolutely thrived. Um, but towards the end of our degree, we sort of got to know each other a bit better. We were both working in the same place together. And I think, you know, Helen and I's relationship has sort of just only grown. It's definitely a friendship first. So, of course, we are business partners and take that responsibility really seriously. But and people always say you shouldn't work with your friends, shouldn't work with your family. I have found the exact opposite to be true. There's sort of no one I'd rather work with. And she she sort of inspires me in a sort of daily way because she is so good at some things that I'm not. Um, I think we're a really good team. And I feel like we're learning and growing together. And whenever I talk to anyone else who's running their own business, um, I couldn't imagine doing it without her. You hear lots of people yeah. kind of doing it by themselves. And I think that sounds quite lonely. And who are you going to celebrate the successes with, but also who are you going to commiserate when it all goes wrong yeah. with? And I think I need, I definitely need that person by my side. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm very, very fortunate in who I found and who I work with because it, makes the world of difference just knowing that you're sort of with a friend for, for first and foremost yeah. but a friend that just fortunately happens to be really excellent at what she does <laughs> and gets it as well yeah and I think that's the other key part but no, she, she sounds amazing but what is going to be next for you both uh well we running our business is sort of our day-to-day -day, mm -hmm. and we're still definitely learning how to do that and I suspect that learning will never stop we've only been running amazing if as a full-time business for about two years now um so I feel like we've got past the point of thinking are we going to make any money is this going to work um into thinking how can we share squiggly with more people how can we increase our reach and our influence and our impact what does that look like um so we're spending lots of time like figuring that out alongside doing our podcast every <laughs> week working with lots of companies across the world probably won't write another book for a bit we might have a little break from mm -hmm. um writing books for a bit um because that's a very intensive and time-consuming kind of process I wouldn't never say never but certainly not it does take a while um and also just thinking a bit about some of the other things that we both really enjoy doing so you mentioned uh I co-chair a board for the mayor of London about affordable and accessible workspace Helen is a trustee for a charity called Working Families which is about you know, offering flexibility and really including everybody being able to, to work um, and I think some of those things help to keep us grounded and make us more well-rounded as well mm -hmm. um, in terms of our skill sets and what we learn so I think continuing to also explore kind of new squiggles that take us in different directions I think yeah. we learned a long time ago that possibilities is way better than plans when it comes to your career and to your small business and so we just we try to keep a, quite an open mind about where squiggly and amazing if might take us um and remember to keep kind of having fun along the way i think all right that, that sounds amazing to me and i can't can't wait to to watch you succeed and to grow and just to keep seeing your name out there i think it's it's going to be great. But where can people find out more information about everything we have discussed today? Of, of course, more importantly, buy your book. <laughs> uh, well, we are not hard to find. I think it's fair to say um, the, the joys of having books and podcasts and those kind of things is people can find us pretty easily. But if you want to connect with me directly, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. 
uh, just make sure you write a message and let, let us know that you've listened to the podcast. Um, and then I will always accept your connection if you, if you let me know you've listened, because I get a lot of connection requests, but I only, I only accept the ones with a, with a message. And you can find our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. It's just called Squiggly Careers. And our website is amazingif.com. And we share lots of free tools and ideas on Instagram where we're at amazingif. That's a good place. If you like Instagram and you like Instagram for our, our kind of content, which is, oh, here's a tool, here's an interesting questionnaire, here's some hints and tips, um, then that might be good for you too. That's amazing. Well, everyone, make sure you're sharing and caring and following, <laughs> and we'll ensure we put the links below in this little box here. So thank Definitely. you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. No, it's been amazing. Well, I wish you a, well, it's Tuesday today, so I wish you a fantastic <laughs> evening and hopefully Max is still awake so you can go and get some um, no, playtime. I can hear him downstairs playing Mario Kart, so he's absolutely fine. <laughs> Good choice. Start them young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, thank, thank you, you so much.